there and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix film in the order of release. Today we have Netflix 105th film. It's the 2018 French mystery thriller, The Most Assassinated Woman in the World. Or in French, and I will stuff this up, it's La Femme La Plus <laughs> Assassine du Monde. It's directed by Franck Ribéry and it stars Anna Morgalis, Niels Schneider, Eric Godon, Cisse Duparc, Andre Wilms and Michelle Foul. I am Jesse and I'm here with MJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm very impressed by that, Jesse. I think you did a hell of a job then. I've never spoken. We, we, that's about all I know. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm glad we could get through some of those names because I was, I, I always rush. I'm like, I need to be slow and just. You do panic it, a little bit. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just let it happen. Pack bricks. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um, yeah we are here to um, check out this French thriller so we start our show with our fast flicks and that's where we, we give our own little summary of the film so MJ what are, you, what are your thoughts for this one well this is my fast flicks but it's 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 the longest fast flicks I've ever done so just bear with me it's I say that it's only two sentences but <laughs> anyway it's the 1930s in Paris and a controversial theater specializes in showcasing violent stories in order to shock audiences Real-life murders are taking place in the area and have been linked to the theatre, which centres around the superstar, Paula Maxa. Beautiful. I like that. That's, that's, you could put that on the DVD cover and um, it would sound great. <laughs> as long as it's on the um, back, on the front, it's too wordy. <laughs> Just break it up into paragraphs. Um, I've, I've gone with um, a performer with a trauma background, plays a character who's killed on stage every performance. Throw in a stalker in the mix and you uh, have a blurring of words. And I've blurred my sentences there. So I think you get what I'm saying. I think that was awesome. I wish I could have done it that succinctly. No, I, I stuffed up. I was, I had it all ready to, I had it paced perfectly. I rewrote that <laughs> sentence and I just, bleh. I think today's going to be a, I, I think know I'm what you were trying to say. I'm going to slur my way through this one today. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, we watched the same film. So uh, what were we able to discover about this one with, um, with how it was made? Um, yeah, look, to, actually, you know, we often say when we do foreign language films that it's quite difficult to find information on it because we are searching in English. Um, I found an article that, that let me translate, um, which was very helpful. So. I, 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 there's this little thing that said, like, if you open it in Google Chrome, then it pops up with what language? And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I, I, maybe, maybe there's only certain articles that do it, or maybe I just haven't noticed that before, but that was extremely handy. So um, what we do know about the film is uh, Frank Ribeiro, the, the director, basically sought out Netflix um, as, a, as a release partner, as a distribution partner for this um, because of the, the the ability that they have to to bring these stories to to a really big audience, um, and the knowledge that they give their their creators, you know, a lot, a lot more power than maybe a lot of other distribution houses might do. So, um, it jumped on board with Netflix very early. Um, the film itself was was filmed over a one month period back in 2017. Most of the scenes were shot in in Belgium. Um, and they actually got quite a fair bit of praise for, for casting a lot of uh, Belgian actors as main characters in the film, which is, which is always nice to see when you are filming in a country to, to support them um, from that perspective. But it's basically the first French-Belgium production on Netflix. We've had a few French, French films before, but this one obviously has, has a Belgium twist to it as well. Um, and the film is obviously released internationally by Netflix, um, but also released in Belgium by Fontana, um, 
So in partnership with Welliamage, they funded the project um, basically through this tax shelter, which was a government approved tax incentive that was designed to encourage the production of audiovisual works in Belgium, which is a very nice way to get a little bit of money when the, the government is, is basically sponsoring you to make a film, which is nice. Um, and they had a budget for around about 4.5 million euro. Um, so that's about 5.3 million US dollars right now. I didn't actually check what it was in 2017. Probably done <laughs> that's that. right. um, so as always, I, I do like to have a context of what you can do with that sort of money. Um, 5.3 million, obviously very specific. I did find a film from 2017 called 47 Metres Down, which is a Mandy Moore oh, film about her stuck <laughs> in a shark cage. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, was, that was done with 5.3 million. But looking at 5 million, obviously a much more round, nice number. This is like the prime hitting zone for, for pretty successful horror movies. Um, you've got Split, you've got Saw 2, you've got Get Out, you've got Insidious Chapter 2, you've got Ma, you've got The Gift. You've also got other films like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, The Big Sick, Dallas Buyers Club, No Escape. It's a very popular amount of money to be spending on these low-budget mm. films that can, that can be quite successful. So you can do a fair bit of money with, with $5 million, but that's kind of the story of the most assassinated woman in the world uh, and how it came onto our screens. Yeah, you've summed that up as usual so nicely. I, yeah, I think that the I think that same article that you possibly read as well, where you know he liked this idea of Netflix being able to get this to you know larger audiences, which we've we've heard before um, through some of the directors when they've sort of had their first feature through here, and and he specifically mentioned that autonomy um, to to tell the story mm-hmm. how he chooses to do it, and I, I just really appreciated that and thought, you know, this this is nice that. Um, you know, we're seeing that in the international um, stage as well. The, yeah, and obviously we, we, I don't know if we touched on this, but it's loosely inspired by the real life and career of the French actress, um, Paula Maxa. So, mm. um, yeah, very loosely. Obviously she's a, she was a stage, um, stage star, but a lot of the other stuff sort of filled in with fiction. I did my, seeing as you did your, your budget sort of uh, summary, I went and looked at some translations. Oh, yep. for yep. <laughs> just, I just enjoy doing this these days. Um, yeah. So, in um in Brazil, Finland, Italy, Russia, and Spain, instead of using the word assassinated in the title, they use the word murder. So the most murdered woman in the world. So um, same same meaning, I guess, and really nice. Um, the only other the other one was in Greek. It's called "How many times can I kill you?" with a question mark. So it's a little oh. bit of a little bit of a different title, but um, a pretty full on title in that as well. <laughs> that's the best one though. That's that's yeah, a cracking it's, title. It's not bad at all, is it? So yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. Um, this one. So it had, a, like you mentioned, it had a bit of a release prior to Netflix. So it debuted in April 2018 at the Brussels International Film Festival, obviously in Belgium, and then played at the Edinburgh Film Festival in June 2018. Uh, and then it played in Switzerland at the, the Nürktel International Film Festival in July. And that's where it was nominated um, for an award at that festival uh, for the director for the best European fantastic feature film. So one nomination for this film um, at one of the, the awards, oh, sorry, the, the film festivals that it played at. Yeah. Um, anything else before we look at the consensus? Yeah. I, I, I love the irony of irony is probably a rude word to, to way to put it when they, they want to reach more people on, um, on a on an international platform and and looking at the consensus there's not a ton of people who actually did see this film so it's got a 5.2 out of 10 on imdb but under 900 ratings there which is definitely on the lower side of things from what we've seen but then it's a 
2.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd, uh, 560 ratings there. So it's actually a sort of real middle-of-the-road kind of consensus looking at those sorts of things, which is surprising because I did see some positive reviews on it. So it, it, in that sense, yeah, maybe it's a bit middling and, and on par, maybe below par. But you know, I think there was definitely some people who really liked it too. Yeah, this, this one was a lot lower on the, the Google users, which often we see very, very high. So it was down at 71%. So that's pretty low for that one. But mm. Rotten Tomatoes, um, the critics liked it. There's only seven that had reviewed it and it was sitting on 86%. So no consensus on that one yet. But um, the audience completely um, the other way, down to 33%. Um, and that's pretty, pretty Whoa. low. It's only on 39 reviews though. So like you mentioned, not many people have seen this one. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, which is mm. very, very, uh, it's an international film, but I don't know, maybe in France, surely, or, you know, Belgium, countries that, that speak French, you'd think that a few people may have logged it a bit more than that. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just being too optimistic. Yeah, I mean, we say this a few times, but <clears throat> I just don't know whether, and, and we should look into this, I suppose, but how many people in, in France, Belgium, whatever, are using IMDb and using Letterboxd and using Rotten Tomatoes? They, they very well may be, um, you know, US, Australia, UK kind of platforms. And, and here we are trying to say that not many, not many people have watched it. It's like, well, we've we not even heard of it. So, Exactly. All right, good. Well, let's uh, lead into our early thoughts for this one then. What are your early thoughts for this? I, um, I generally enjoyed it. Um, I liked the, the darkness to it. I enjoyed the mystery. I was intrigued by couple of the characters and, and whilst there are definitely a few pieces of the storytelling that fell a bit flat in general, it, it did have my attention for the, for the entirety of the film. Um, I, I appreciated the dedication to what was a pretty unique setting for a movie um, within the, the grand Gujnol theatre and, and the focus on these naturalistic horror, murder, gore shows. It's not going to appeal to a lot of people in 2018, but I kind of dug it. Um, I kind of switched roles from watching the movie to, to sitting in the audience in the 1930s. And like, I was watching these shows and like, yeah, they've aged, but you put yourself in the shoes and you can respect the dedication to that portrayal. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm along, I'm along the same lines. Um, I was pretty engaged because uh, I wanted to, to know more about Paul and know more about this stalker. And, and the reveal throughout was, I probably had a little bit of issue, some issues with it. And I don't know whether that's in the translation, um, but there were some bits throughout that I struggled with. And, but I guess it, it held my attention, but yeah, mm-hmm. and visually this was quite impressive, especially the practical effects. I thought they were really excellent and they, you know, on the screen, they looked, you know, so good. So imagine what they would have looked like, like you mentioned, if you were sitting in that audience as well. Um, so definitely had me mm-hmm. going, um, you know, wanting to, to continue right through to the end, which is good. Okay. Character yeah. time. Yeah. Let's um let's get into our characters and, and have a chat about these. There's there's a whole range of characters in this one, but I think we, we'll just focus on. I think there's only a few that we really need to talk about. So how about you, you start us off with the, mm. the main main character Paula? Fill us in on her. Yeah, so Paul, Paula was quite a presence, right? Like that voice, that confidence, the traumatic past, and that kind of standoffish nature. I, I found it to be just a really engaging lead character, but um, I like the fact that she was kind of one step ahead of the audience. I think you probably don't know this until the end, but you get that vibe while you're watching. Um, it's it's this it's almost in a meta kind of way how much, and I guess it's 
hang on, we haven't done a spoiler alert yet. So I'm just going to say we will we will spoil the film if um if you haven't seen it and you do want to watch it, um, we are going to spoil the film, and I'm about to do it right now. So uh, you, you kind of notice right at the very, very yeah right at the very end when she when she talks looks at the camera and talks to the camera. There's that voiceover. It just feels very meta. It's almost like she's taking you into this mystery story of her life, and she knows everything that's going to happen, but you don't know that she knows. And I I, I kind of found that really fascinating throughout the film. Um, and I also thought it was a brilliant performance from from Anna Muglialis. Muglialis? Yeah, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I thought I think that the as a very very complex character that haunted by the death of or the you know the murder of the sister and um, like you mentioned the the performance by Anna Muglialis. I'll probably butcher that as well. Um, I thought it was like excellent and um, you know the 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 performance and the believability of that character. Um, was just yeah really really good and there's a couple of things throughout the film that um through that performance highlighted other things through the filmmaking techniques that really impressed me i guess especially with the the performances on the stage in the film um and i'll probably get to them a little bit later in the scenes but um yeah really 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 impressive performance yeah. and and you know she 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 was that character um which was good who have you got next mm-hmm. Uh, we got Jean next. Um, as a character, he was he was kind of really working for me as well. Um, his his curiosity, his sensibility, he kind of felt above everything else that was going on. Which I think, as an audience member watching this in twenty twenty, uh, we we kind of feel like that too. Um, so you, you're riding shotgun with Jean for for much of this film, trying to wrap your head around everything with the limited clues that you're given. Basically, exactly the same as what he's doing. Um, where he loses me is, is this affair that he has with the married woman. Um, this subplot in general didn't work for me. I think it aided parts of the story on a really surface level, but it never quite came together. And it actually took my connection away from Jean, which, which was kind of detrimental in the film in a sense. So I liked him, but there's, there's it just, he lost me by the end of it, which was a shame. Yeah. I, I completely agree because, I don't know whether it was, I was a little bit confused, but at the end when he was taken by gunpoint, I don't know if it was clear enough that the person that was taking him by gunpoint was this, um, you know, the, the, the partner of this person he'd had the affair with. So it did, it confused me a little Mm. bit to, and, and even throughout like him continually showing off that wound that he had from this attack. I was like, what does this really have to do? And it's like, well, they've tried to tie it up, but they didn't tie it up um, Mm. really well. So I I really agree with what you're saying there. Um, and there's a scene with him in the bar where, you know, he had these visions of himself with the girl and, and things like that. So they tried to make him this sort of complex character, I guess, but at this, and, and they tried to show that he cared for Paula and he wanted to help her get out of this situation. But I'm, yeah, I'm not sure that they did a, an excellent job of doing that. And I don't know whether that's the performance, whether it's the writing of the script, but yeah, there were, there were big issues with his character for me compared to maybe it was just because Paula was such an outstanding character that it impacted the ability to actually have this, um, connectability with him as much i don't but yeah i agree the the affair and that definitely let him down a little bit no yeah i I don't think it was in conjunction with how good paula was and how engaging she was i think i think they probably just didn't flesh it out properly i think they left holes in it because as i said it was working for me a lot and then they just went down this path that i knew i knew what they were doing like they, they 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 made you understand why they were doing it it just didn't add up that was probably the main issue yeah, good. All right. Is there anyone else that you'd like to talk about? I, I definitely want to talk about Paul. Um, 
<laughs> because a lot of the mystery and the intrigue of the film for me actually revolves around Paul, which is good because you don't really suspect that to be the case, but bad because it actually left me with a fair few unanswered questions. And like, what I do know is that uh, Paul is the guy who cares deeply for Paula uh, almost romantically, I think, but probably operates in more of a father figure type protector role um, in a world where she doesn't really have anyone else in that role. But for me, I just wasn't sure. And I'm going to ask you these questions now as we go. Was he in on the whole Jean Eugene, Le De- Le, um, Eugene Delancre thing all along? Like, he, did he warn Paula that this guy was going to eventually come and kill her? That was part of the plan, yeah? I think that that's what they're assuming that you would have put together because the the um, Eugene Jean dude, the stalker, like he obviously was providing those dead bodies so that Paul could do those mm-hmm. special effects. So I think that was probably a big um, string that they're trying to get you to to tie together and, and tie up. Yeah, I, mm. that's what I interpreted it as as well. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was tricky because yeah, he did show this this sort of care for her, but at the same time he was abusing this relationship for these dead bodies because he was allowing this stalker guy into her, into her little change room and, and to, you know, mm. try in her costumes and things. So yeah, it was, it was, if he didn't know exactly where he stood and I don't know whether that was because they were trying to have this twist at the end that you, you weren't expecting him to be on her side in the end. It, it, yeah. It, it was, it was an interesting sort of um, situation to, to put him in. That actually leads me to my next question was, was this, was this always the long game to get, Paul out out of this was was the long game always to fake her death and then we'll just nick off together do you think and there's probably no right or wrong answer there but is that is that how you read that too i guess but i, I don't understand why she's nicking off with him either because he's he seems a fair bit older than her and i didn't really see any sort of like romantic connection with them so i don't know whether yeah but obviously you see them at mm-hmm. the end together in the car together so that's what they're they're leading towards but yeah i yeah i don't have an answer for that <laughs> for that either yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's what they want you to think or... And I, I, what you said before about the audience trying to piece together, you know, whether he's uh, the good guy or the bad guy, I think that worked quite well. I think that was a cool cool way to do it because I was thinking that. I'm like, hang on, is this guy on her side? Is he not? Because 70% of my brain said he's not on his side. And when he came good, I was like, oh, okay, I can still see that, which, which works. But the next question I have about him is how did he not go to jail? Because he was the one that got yeah. done for murdering <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had that in my questions too. I was like, he was arrested at the end, and how did, how's he so he's just able to drive around? Like, I, yeah, I can, <laughs> I agree. That was a little bit of a weird sort of situation. <laughs> mm. So he was an interesting character, mind you. I, I was, I was quite. I oh, as soon as the movie stopped, I asked a lot of questions about him, and I think I half answered some of them whilst I was thinking about it, which is good. So, um, oh yeah, Paul was very interesting. Good. All right. Um. I guess the only other person was that Andre, the director. Um, he, he, his character was just one of those ones. He was sort of that so uh, self-centered, misogynist, claims people as property. That was his life and there was nothing else to it. So there's not really much else that you can really talk about <laughs> with him, I guess. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't read too much into him. He was kind of more there for the drama and, you know, being standoffish about the theatre, which at the end of the day, the theatre itself, you know, wasn't really, it was almost like a red herring about what was going on. What was happening was this Eugene guy was coming in and yeah, you know, giving them dead bodies. So that was, it was related in some sense, but the director basically had nothing to do with it. And, and I actually wanted to talk about Eugene in the sense that he was basically just like a Jack the Ripper type murderer. And we don't know why and we don't learn enough about 
how he got to be like this, but he likes to murder women, particularly women who look like Paula. Um, and, and to be honest, that walking stick that he's got made for some really good audio in those dark scenes to add to that eeriness, that big clunk, clunk, clunk. So yeah. I don't mind him as a killer. I think it was all right. <laughs> yeah, good. All right. Um, I think we're ready to sort of move on a little bit from the characters, I guess. And um, we can talk about the director, yep. Frank. Uh, Frenchie, Frenchie Ribieri, first feature, done a lot of docos, um, mainly known for doing a lot of producing, I guess. But I really loved this quote that he'd attributed to to this film. And he said, viewers want to see the films where they want, when they want, and at the right price. And I just think that ties in so nicely with this whole Netflix idea. So that was all I wanted to say about him. I thought that was, that was such a good line. It's becoming the norm now. I think when we started doing this podcast, 105 movies ago but you know one of the big things we were taking out of what the directors were saying was like oh you know it's it's a bit of a change to think about the fact that this isn't going to release in cinemas and now it's just like it's really getting pretty normal that things get streamed before anything else so it's um it's changed very quickly Mm. all right time for some scenes what are some scenes from this one that you liked yeah, only got a only got a few, but I I really liked the the opening, I think basically in credit opening credits scene um, when they just basically had that eerie murder. So that that just the, the darkness and the smoke and the mystery just drew me into the film without a word being spoken. Um, trying to figure out whether we were seeing two different people in this scene, and then obviously ends up with a woman getting stabbed. Thought it was done really really well. Mm. <laughs> The next one I do have is is the scene that you sort of mentioned before when when Eugene goes into Paula's um, makeup makeup room, whatever her little room is backstage, and puts on her her wig and puts on the makeup and reveals that he delivers the corpses and basically says he wants wants to kill Paula. And I thought the whole thing was just really exciting. It was obviously very explicit the way that it explained everything to us, but it was um it was pretty you know chilled and terrifying and um just didn't see it coming i thought it was great Mm. and the final scene that i do have was basically the entire finale scene where um where paula dies on stage but from from very it's probably like a 10 minute sequence of her doing that scene and you're like she's gonna actually get killed she's gonna actually get killed and she gets her throat slit and then the blood goes onto the crowd and then obviously they take the body backstage and then you you, you probably realize that like 30 seconds before that she's not actually dead or what I did anyway and just everything that bait and switch was 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 just a really really good scene and, and probably the most memorable of the film Good. Yeah. All, all really good scenes. Um, I've got a couple of others that, yeah, I think they're all very, very similar and a lot of them lead in with those practical effects being really well done. And, and it started off at the start with, you know, you got the hands falling off the stabbing in the eye with the scissors, face bleedings. I, I really appreciated mm. that they did it in a way that as an audience, we could see the trickery. So it wasn't like they were doing it to, to sort of turn this into a, mm. a supernatural or unbelievable sort of film. It was like, we're in on what's happening, which I really appreciated. I thought that was, that was really, really well done. Great. Um, cool. And, mm. and the same, like I didn't mind like the, these visions that she was having of being attacked in the cafe and then seeing her sister in the bathtub and, and, it follows on for me, like from the, the, the start, like there's this scene where um, you've got a guy dressed up as the the black death sort of dude that with the, the beak and he sort of plucks out um, the heart out of her body. And then there's this hole that the camera sort of goes through the body. And this was the first one to me that 
the illusion mm. wasn't explained. And I just really appreciated that as an audience member now, I couldn't work that out. So that meant maybe this isn't all as fake as, as we possibly think it is like that there's more reality to it than there, than, you know, the, all the, the makeup and costumes and things. So I, I really thought that was done really, really well. Um, and then, yeah, finally mm. the, the, the scene in the bedroom um, with Jean and um, Paula, just there's the, the cameras on this high angle looking down on the bed and the bed sort of, it's sort of the camera starts spinning and that's when we get that full reveal of the story of the sister. Um, and then at the end, the camera sort of pulls and keeps rotating. Mm. So that was a, a really cool way of, um, of telling that backstory without, you know, just them having a conversation flashing back. It sort of had more to it than y- y- your general sort of little, you know, story. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. All right. That's me done with those ones. Yeah, that was so a cool we- shot. Yeah, it was. It was good. So what are some things that um, you necessarily didn't like in this one? Yeah, I, I, had, I did have a little bit of trouble just figuring out what was real and what wasn't um, in, in terms of the flashbacks and, and them and Paula getting lost in thought. And, and if it's not real, why isn't it real? I don't think that was as clear as it could have been. I, I appreciated the reveal, like you said, in that story where they explain it to each other. But it took me a little bit of time to get going. Um, with that initially. And with that said, I actually think uh, this would be really beneficial on a rewatch and, and maybe those scenes would make a hell of a lot more sense. So um, the, the main thing that did bother me, which I've already alluded to, was was the whole subplot of the man trying to kill John or Jean. Um, it just derailed the story for me a little bit. Um, it was just a really ordinary subplot that was used for the convenience of the story and definitely not developed properly. So... Didn't love that, and that was probably one of the, the main detractors from me. Um, and the only other thing that I didn't like was that, that he solved that crime really quickly. <laughs> as soon as he sort of got that information on what actually happened, what her real name was, and he, he gets the board up at the, at the newspaper offices and he starts pinning things together, and within about three minutes, he's figured out exactly what's happened and realises that the guy that he spoke to on the very first night was actually the murderer. Like, and that was all a bit too convenient for me as well. Yeah, that, that really annoyed me because, you know, he goes to work and his friends like gives him all that information on Paula, which we'd already been told as an audience that he already knew. And then, yeah, obviously get him to see him solve it like so quickly. It's like, yeah, I, I didn't appreciate that, that at all. It was very repetitive. Um, the, yeah. the reporter, um, so he's a reporter. His name's Jean. The creep who's the stalker is the same name. So I know it's Eugene, but they refer to him as Jean the whole way as well. Paula is the actress and Paul Mm -hmm. is the special effects guy. Surely they could have come up with some different names just for a little bit of clarity. I'm pretty basic. So I need, I need a little bit of simplicity in some character names for me because that to me was too much, too, too much. Um, (laughs) It's a great call, but I I think that obviously Paul is based on a real person, but I think Paul was actually based on a real person as well. Yeah, he sure was. He was, um, where was it? He was um, based on one of Paris's best special effect artists. His the fake blood still used in theaters today. That that recipe that he came up with. So, uh, yeah, he def- definitely a real person. But yeah, just change the name. I don't care. Um, <laughs> <the only laughs> yeah, th- true. I'll, I'll give you that. The the there's a line that Paula said. I liked her character except this one line where she said, "Dying on stage every night keeps me alive." I was like, that was just kind of gross. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, only, the only other thing was the post credit scene. Yeah, yeah the, the only other thing is that post credit scene with um. Then we see Eugene sort of saying that his life is meaningless now that Paul is dead, but he's still happy to go kill other people. So nothing really changed in him. He was still killing people before yeah. and after. So I don't understand what this big change in his life was. Um, because he yeah anyway trying to fit for that. Avoid. 
Yeah, exactly. All right. Time to talk about something that this film was saying. What are some ideas, some themes? What have you got for this one? Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit there, um, particularly around mystery. Obviously the, the plot was a, was a big old mystery. The characters were often left in the dark with, with a lot of what we knew about the characters and what we knew about the story. And, and we kind of had to forage through the mystery to keep a grasp on it. So I think the thing that keeps coming back to me is that whole mystery of the film. But, you know, there's also some themes of, of revenge and, and, and murder and the idea of what's real and what's fake. I think we know that from the story itself, but then, you know, uh, from a practicality perspective, what's real and what's fake is what they're trying to show on stage. And she's basically staging her death and to, to try and get out of something. And, and that, that whole idea of what's real and what's fake is, is really at the heart of this movie. Oh, that's really good. Cause everything I've got, like that's all completely true. And I've got completely different things too, that I took out of it. So it's nice to see just two different um, takes on, on <laughs> what it, what it's talking about. Cause you know, this to me was like, as well, like everything you said is, hundred percent on track. And then to me, it was like the morals at that time, like who's sort of the worst person, those on stage or those that are paying to see it, like the, you know, these, Mm. the the time in society, like this constant idea that, you know, this saturation or viewing of something can lead to it happening with these murders and, um, and using trauma to sort of push the limits. Like this was all a little bit of an iffy side of society that, you know, people were paying to see because they enjoyed it, but was it morally correct? Um, And, they had, they had this little underlying thing throughout with this rise of cinema too, which I really appreciated and thought was cool that, you know, theater can do things that cinemas can't like smell and the horror in real life. And, but he, he this John character still has the balls to take Paul into the cinema. And I just thought that was really, really cool. Um, and then finally too, this, this idea mm. of censorship, you know, people complaining about if they don't agree with something, they want to remove it. Or, you know, this can't, this um, cancel culture that we're sort of experiencing at the moment too. Like if you, if there's something that you don't like, well, let's get rid of it. And, you know, maybe that's not the right thing to do or the right way to go about it. So um, yeah, this, this one, we, we got quite a lot of good things out of this. I like that. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, what did you take away from this one? Yeah, I probably touched on this a little bit already with, with the whole idea of the mystery behind it, but I just, I just found it constantly creepy and constantly eerie. I, I think when you set a film in a location like this, it, there's always something that's you, you're not feeling comfortable the whole time which um which i appreciated and i also like the 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 nice little twist and turn that went throughout the film it did leave me with a few questions some some better than others you know some still had a nice resolution um but it still you know it got me thinking and i I like that too and i think the one thing that that i do have to recognize with it it, it's quite a niche film i I think the tone and the style would, would turn people away despite it that being an appeal for other people. And I, I, there's not too many people that I'd recommend this film to, even though I did enjoy it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think for me, just leading on from what you've said, if you're into like art or theater, then you're probably going to get something out of this that others won't. Or yeah, like you mentioned, it's, it's not for everyone. Um, that's for sure. Cause you, it's, it's not the one of those mm. sit back, relax, enjoy, chuck on in the background ones. It's one that you, you got to focus on. It's an international film. Plus it's, it's pretty full on, but to me, the, the standout thing of those visuals, the color design, the mise-en-scene that to me, they, they just stood out so well, like low budget film done excellently. Mm. All right. Do you jump onto IMDb at all to check anyone out for this one? No, I didn't. Not for this film. Me either. <laughs> we can, we can move on and, and uh, appreciate. We don't know a lot of Belgian, uh, Belgian actors, I guess. <laughs> uh, Okay. Uh, question time. You've asked me some already, but have you got any more that you'd like to ask? 
I've only got one more. I just want to get your take on one of the last shots of the film with the director laughing, crying while he's reading the paper right near the end. Um, no idea. Was that just like him going into a little bit of a loop of insanity or I, I don't know what, what the hell happened then? Um, I just took that as cause his life was this theater, everything in his life revolved around it and now it's closed. So he had nothing in life. So his life was destroyed. That was, that, that was his it. reaction to it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, talking to like the newspaper. So there was a, there was a scene where the newspaper, um, that sort of, um, the reporter Jean had a bit of a freak out cause he saw the headline was that tonight Paula Max at, um, plays for her life. How was that different from any other night? Because that's what she did every night. So, and like we mentioned this before, I'm guessing that Paul had told Paula that he was coming that night to slice her throat, but how did the newspaper know that, and how did he connect? Like it was just these massive draws, I guess. Yeah. It's a really good point. Cause for some reason he figured out that she was in danger right now. Like he, he figured out who was after her and why he was after her. But that didn't necessarily mean that he was going to kill her that night. It's a really yeah. good point. I just yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, and the other one, so the the um, Eugene or Jean, the the sort of stalker, in the stories that we hear from when he killed Amy, um, the sister, he was mm-hmm. meant to have committed suicide before the police came to arrest him. So was that just a story that Paula had been told as a kid to make her feel safe as a kid that he's gone, he's disappeared, um, or is it something that she created in her mind? Yeah, I'm not sure on this one because there was also. Did he have a twin brother? Did I? Oh. Did I? I thought I saw. I thought I saw a photo of two guys, um, like they looked exactly the same. But I, I, I subsequently looked at this and I didn't think I saw it anywhere. But for some reason, in my head, he killed his brother, <laughs> left his brother on the scene, and then he nicked off and, and resumed his identity, which is why I think one was called Eugene and one was called Jean or John. But cool. I'll, I'll I, I, I could have missed that. I could have missed that. Com- misread that completely. No, I like that. Um, last one that I had is the Grand Juginol Theatre. Like, had you ever heard of it before? No, no, I hadn't. But no. I did. I did look into it a little bit before this. Yeah, same. I thought, I thought that was cool that there's you know a couple of directors that they mentioned, like Tarantino, has a good knowledge of it, and um, yeah, it's no Moulin Rouge, but obviously, um, if you're into theatre, then this is something that you, you you probably know. So yeah, I learned something, which is nice from a film. But also, it closed down in 1962, I think I read. So mm. not in the 1930s like this film. <laughs> no, exactly. All right. Well, I think we're almost ready to wrap this one up, and we give our film a rating out of five to give it a flicks form average. So, what what are your thoughts for this? Final thoughts for this one. So despite the fact that it didn't, it didn't push all of my buttons, I did appreciate a lot about this movie. Um, I really enjoyed the darkness. I enjoyed the mystery. Loved the performance from Anna Muglialis. It all came together really nicely to provide me with some historical context as, as well as maintaining my interest for the full 100 minutes. It's a really solid three stars. I nearly gave it three and a half, um, but it's just, you know, as I've, I've already told you the things I didn't like about it, just couldn't quite get there. So good, a good three star film. No, that's yeah, completely fair. I'm going to repeat a lot of what you've just said. Cause yeah, I thought it was pretty good too. The, the performance of Anna, um, Mugli Alice, I'll keep stuffing that up as Paula um, was just 
yeah, it's so good. And I wanted to know what was going to happen to her character at least. So that kept me going. Um, rest of the cast sort of blended in a little bit for me, but the practical effects were really, really good. Um, definitely made me think I learned something. So I'm giving this one a three and a half out of five. Um, good. I'm glad you yeah. did. So that'll um, give us an average of 3.25, which is... Um, 3.25 sits really well with me. Yeah, I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> we brought it up. All right, so we have our social. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have question of the week. This week, are theatre and cinema on an even playing field in present society? Or is one oh. looked at more, more glowingly by the public at the moment? I mean, forget about COVID. Forget about what we're. I was going to say at the moment. moment. <laughs> forget about forget about right now. But as as a, if you could go out, I don't know. Like, what's? It's a tough one. Yeah, I I think cinema is still a lot more accessible. Um, mm. I I think there's just a lot more variance in what you can see at a cinema, or, or whether you can see it or not. Whether you know what you can see, and look, I know for us living in in Melbourne you don't tend to go to the theater unless you're going, you know, out to the city to see it. Whereas yeah. you can go to the cinema five minutes down and, the road. So it's a lot more, a lot more costly too. You're like, you've got to, it is a lot more it's only like a yeah. once, once a year sort of thing. You're like, Oh, there's this show coming. I want to save for that. I'm going to see that. So yeah, I agree with that. Very true. Very true. So they're, they're very different, but you know what? Post COVID, if that's ever going to be a thing, um, you know, who knows where cinemas are going to be at. Maybe we will see a bit of a research, not resurgence because theatres are doing well, but maybe we will see a bit more mainstream use of theatres when people aren't going to the cinemas as much because everything is available on their TV at home. Good, good point. All right, well, um, we're back again next week and I know that you have seen our film next week. So, um, Oh, have I? That excites me. I don't yes, know what I've it seen, is. I've seen you. You've uh, logged it on Letterboxd, so I know that you've seen it. <laughs> oh, right. Um, next week we have the 2018 teen comedy drama, Sierra Burgess is ah. a Loser. <laughs> I have seen this, yes. Yeah, it's directed by Ian Samuels. It stars Shannon Purser, Christine Frosyth, RJ Siler, and Noah Centino, one of our favourites um, on this podcast. So <laughs> I am, um, okay, okay. Through. So, yeah, um, we'll see if uh, your thoughts change or, or what, what happens with that one, I guess. I have no idea why I rated it back when I watched it. So, um, all right, yeah, that's, I'm going to watch it again. Good, let's bring it on. Well, um Thanks for chatting. It's always, it's always good. And yeah, I mean, I would never have heard of this one or have seen this one. So I, you know, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, right? Good. All right. Well, I'll see you next week. See you there, mate.